0: Chapter 34 The following days were marked by fortunate weather. The sun returned and a strong wind with it. If the wind held, they could reach Gibraltar in just over a week. With the capture of the thief and the return of the crew's belongings, tensions eased on the ship and spirits lifted. That was well because battle loomed. Gibraltar meant the end of the Atlantic and the beginning of the Barbary threat. During the weeks since the ship had embarked, The subject of what awaited them at the end of the crossing had been kept a mystery. The crew rumored all sorts of speculation on why they were paid so well to cross the Atlantic with nothing to trade or sell. Some said that they were bound for Africa to take on slaves. Others scoffed at that and whispered that one of the crew was a spy to be delivered to London to assassinate the king and end the war. Others muttered that Captain Button was to lead the French against England and take the throne for herself. Finn had strictly instructed the few who knew the truth to keep silent. The truth would be more terrible to the men than any rumor they contrived among themselves. Stories of Barbary pirates and their wickedness ran thicker in the blood of sailors than any barroom talk of her alleged exploits. With the lightning of the crew's mood and the boon of fair weather as omens, Finn called a meeting with Jack, Armand, and Topper to lay plans. I don't suppose any of you have been to Tripoli. Finn asked as they sat at the table, considering a map of the Mediterranean. Each of the men shook his head. Well, I certainly haven't. I don't see why we shouldn't just make port as a merchant, secure the countess, and be gone as quick as we come. Jack scratched at his beard. Hmm, the Barbary don't suffer their women to show their faces, far less to captain a ship. We best hide you or disguise you, Button, he said. Well, you thought I was a boy for months, and I wasn't even trying to fool you, said Finn. Jack grunted. Armand pursed his lips and kneaded his left hand. What you suggest will suffice, but we must prepare for the complication of simplicity. It is my experience that things are never simple. Finn nodded. But none of us have ever been to the city. We can't very well guess where the Countess is, and until we know that, we can't make any plans to retrieve her. Jack grunted again and then spoke. Huh. What we do know is that we're like to have all hell on our heels when leaving port, and that we can plan for. Jack straightened up in his chair and thumped Topper on the back. Topper and me will drill the crew. We'll be ready as can be on the cannons and battle stations. When we get to Tripoli, the crew will stay aboard and be ready to make way in a hurry when the time comes. I'll see they know what to expect and what to do. Topper nodded in agreement. Aye, we'll have her standing by when you come running. Though we best hold that action till wind and tide favor us, Jack voiced a guttural agreement. Armand straightened his back and leaned forward. He drew his lips tight. Finn and Jack raised their eyebrows and waited for him to voice the thoughts he kept. What is it, Armand? As little as Finn liked his advice, his experience was valuable. Out with it. If you have something to say, then say it. His thin lips parted and let out a breath that whistled across his teeth. His voice followed it, flowing out of him like a poisonous wisp. We chase the wind, Shari. Finn bristled at his tone and his name for her. The sly, lecherous grin that usually accompanied him was gone. A cool pallor on his face and a barely discernible quaver in his voice convinced her that his declaration was one of honest dread. What we endeavor is a lunatic dream. To walk in the black man's land, and take from him the prize of his house. Sheep in the slaughterhouse, sherry. Men will die, and the dead will be the fortunate. These moors are slavers. Their ancestors have despoiled the world for a thousand generations. Nations cower before them. No man can win this prize. We will find no pardon in this. Only death. You've heard one too many sailors' tales, said Finn. We fought the British Navy and lived to tell of it. Why should we be afraid of a rabble of pirates? Armand's face knurled into an angry glare. You know nothing, girl. You believe in your own shadow. Mind your manner, Defane, said Jack. He backed it up with a faint growl. I'm with Finn on this. I've heard plenty of dire tell about these pirates but I can't see how half of it is true. If you know something more than a drunkard's tale, then let's out with it. Otherwise, clam up and keep your ill wind to yourself. Armand spat. Would it sway you, then, to know that Tiberius Creech himself was wizened by his scars on the Barbary and never sailed it again in his life? He was as cunning and cruel a man as any to sail the West, but he feared the coast, and would not trespass it. The group sat in silent consideration. Finn knew Armand was somehow associated with Creech. It was why he was here to begin with, why he had agreed to help her. Revenge. But his revenge was satisfied. How do you know what Creech was afraid of? said Finn. Armand pushed away from the table. He stood up and paced the room. He held his half-hand in his whole one, and kneaded the cloven flesh, like a man trying to wake up a limb gone to sleep in needles. How does a man know his brother fears the dark? He whispered. His words hung in the air and drew out questions. Tiberius and I were children together in the world, as far back as my mind can paint the picture. He turned to look at Finn and saw the trouble on her face. No, not brothers by blood. A brotherhood of necessity. He taught me to speak his English, and I showed him how to pick a gentleman's pocket, how to relieve a lady of her jewels, how to slip a knife between a man's ribs so that he dies without crying out. The first blood he spilt was with my blessing and instruction. Gamines we were scavenging the filth of the rich in the alleyways and tenements of New Orleans. When our faces grew too familiar to pass freely in the city, we went to sea and learned the life of the pirate. We were like kings in those days. We followed each of us our own passions, and always we came together again. He spent a season in the Mediterranean. And when he returned, he was covered in a shadow. Something horrid and black fell upon him and grew, while my brother dwindled. It was the long arm of the Barbary. He grappled with them both on land and sea, and what he saw haunted him. Think you, what manner of thing haunts a man such as he? He never spoke of it, not even to me. But he learned from them ways of cruelty and war that served him, served us well. Never would he sail the coast again. He shunned it. No profit, no prize could draw him to it. You ask me how I know. I know because I knew my brother's heart. A heart so black and terrible as his feared nothing short of hell, fire, and the devil's very teeth. Yet he feared these barbaries, and so then shall I. Finn and Jack passed a worried look between them. Finn was glad to finally hear answers out of Armand, but his revelation presented more questions than it satisfied. Well, if that's true, then why were you so eager to see Creech dead? Armand returned to kneading his half-hand. There was another, a third. Armand stopped pacing and fixed his slitted eyes on Finn. Goose flesh rose on her skin. Finn was suddenly uncomfortable and shifted in her seat. He betrayed us. Bart Gan, your Bartimaeus. Finn's mouth dropped open, and Jack's bushy eyebrows crawled halfway up his forehead. He was the best of us. The mediator, the peacemaker. He was wretched as any pirate of the main, but he had a nature about him that was different. Gentle, Armand shrugged. The whores loved him for it. When I learned he disappeared with our gold, I was not even surprised. It was, hmm, like him somehow. Thought it was clever, in fact. But Tiberius did not take it so well. He was enraged. Lunatic! got it in his mind that I had helped him, "'that I was in on it, and then?' "'He lowered his head and stretched out the remaining fingers of his hand. "'The darkness of the Barbary. "'He took my flesh. "'He chained me to the mast and ordered me to tell him where Bart had gone. "'I told him the truth I did not know.' and he took his boots to me. I told him lies to make him stop, but he saw them through and laid his knives upon me, and he cut, and he did not stop his cutting. Do you know the inescapability of such torment? A man's mind is not made for it. It must twist and bend to survive. He spoke as he unbuttoned his shirt and removed it. His torso was a waxy thatch of scars. He made of my body a ruin. And when he had done his work upon me, he spat on my head and abandoned me to the justice of King George. I prayed for death. I cursed his name and bart every night in my prayers. And years on end their curses I sang Until at last the dream of vengeance Came to warm me And you, Sherry You are my salvation So I will follow you Even unto the Barbary coast But I tell you plainly that I go in fear Heed me, Sherry. You must be sly. Sly, as the fox. Else, we are lost. When the sun came up the next morning, Topper rang the bell and ordered the crew to battle stations. To Jack's displeasure and no one's surprise, the drill was disastrous. Some men slept through it. Some ran amok on deck, wondering where they ought to get to. Most meandered to their stations with eyes rolled up and muttered foolishness on their tongues. When Jack saw how sadly the drill was progressing, he tried to charge the nearest sluggard, but lost his footing when his leg came clean off. He cursed Finn's ears red as he hop-crawled across the deck to retrieve his mechanical leg, then hurled it at the poor sailor hard enough that he might have killed him had his aim been true. But when he'd got his leg back on and was upright once more, Jack was red with anger, and his entire body was a quiver. A thick purple vein bulged out on his forehead and throbbed under his skin like a drum. What in the flaming blue hell was that? shouted Jack. The crew gathered around him on the main deck, and Jack creak-stomped through the crowd, pointing his finger and jabbing his chin out at each of them. Does a one of you filthy greens know the call to battle stations? Beat to arms! Anybody heard of it? A timid hand rose among the crew. Jack's eyes widened, and he pushed his way through the crowd to see to whom it might belong. But when he'd come close enough, his eyes traced their way down the offending arm and found that it was connected to the body of Lucas Thiggum. The doctor trembled and blinked madly behind his spectacles. A roar sputtered around in the back of Jack's throat. The crew who had learned to associate this sound with the onset of considerable unpleasantry, slowly moved back to create a small circle around Jack and the doctor. "'You know the drill, do you?' said Jack through clenched teeth. The doctor spoke as if he was in a great hurry to get his words out of him. "'The call, beat to arms, is given upon the suspicion of any perceived danger to the ship or crew.' Gunners to the gun deck, hands to the armory for issuance of weaponry, and then to battle stations as assigned by the first mate or captain. I have read a great deal about such things, as they are related by Lord Dunsinger in his exhaustive work on the life of the nautical man entitled The Life of the Nautical Man, An Exhaustive Work. And what did your book say about where the ship's surgeon ought to find himself when he hears the call, eh? As Jack spoke, the doctor began to back away but Jack seized his coat and drew him up to his toes. Dr. Thigham opened and closed his mouth in puzzlement as he considered this new question. I, uh, I, uh, the, the, the ship's surgeon? Oh, I feared Lord Dunsinger had little to say upon the matter. Jack began to growl again. The doctor blinked hugely behind his spectacles. I should venture to think that the surgeon's place ought to be in the... surgery? Jack eased the doctor back to the ground, released his coat and smiled briefly. Then he stooped over and bellowed in Thigum's face so loudly that the fragile doctor's eyes fluttered in fear, and he nearly swooned. Then why in the devil's liver are you on deck and not in the surgery? Jack grabbed the doctor by the shoulder, spun him around to face the nearest hatch, and kicked him smartly in the rear with his real leg. The doctor cried out and ran for the surgery as fast as his spindly legs would take him. The rest of the crew split like birds from a gunshot and made for their respective stations with rare determination. The rest of the day was filled with the ringing of bells, the pounding of feet, and the thunder of Jack's displeasure. As captain, Finn was free of the commotion. She retreated to her quarters to let Jack, Armand, and Topper deal with the drilling of the crew. Armand's tale about Bartimaeus and Creech was still heavy in her mind. She couldn't reconcile her memories of Bartimaeus with the tales she heard from Creech and Armand. Had it all been a lie? And if so, which part was the lie, the pirate or the cook? Phineas Button let out a faint groan and shifted in his sleep. Finn stood over him and considered the outlines of his face. She saw her eyes, her nose, even a hitch in the shoulders that she recognized as her own. The brow, though, was strange to her, so too the jawline. She imagined that those were features her mother had given her, and her heart leapt. "'Why didn't you want me?' she whispered. His bandages were bled through. She lifted his arm and unraveled them, taking care to ease them apart when they stuck. She put the rags aside and dressed them with new linens, then laid the dressed limb back upon the bed. The rest of his bandages needed changing as well, but she would have to send for more. When she walked toward the door, he spoke. She wanted to keep you. Finn stopped and closed her eyes, gritted her teeth. She didn't turn to face him. His voice was brittle and slurred, drink ruined. Prayed for you, and she thought I didn't hear. His voice struggled through the sounds of the ship to find her and the sound of it, even broken, racked, and fragile, made her chest swell with questions and emotions, years of anger and hope. Daughter, he said, but it was an empty croak, like a thing rehearsed, something of mere fact but no real account. She wanted to throw her hands over her ears and rip the word out of her mind. She wanted to unhear it, but she couldn't, and it felt like a searing iron in her skull. The word opened up an abyss inside of her, and she cowered away from it, terrified of its unseen depths. She wanted to scream. She wanted to run. Worst of all, she wanted to turn to Phineas Button. She wanted to go to him. She wanted him to put his arms around her so that she could know how it felt to be wanted, to be home. Daughter, he croaked again. The dark chasm in her heart widened and yawned and she shrank from it. Finn smashed the door open and fled. She retreated up the mainmast into the tops and cried for a long time where the wind could hide her sobs.